0: Hello, I'm Gabrielle Scorthorne and this is Back From Reality. When I was 17 years old, my dad smuggled me out of a school excursion so that I could line up for hours at my local Westfield to audition for the reality television show Fresh Meat, where I would be competing to be a presenter on Channel V, which sounds pretty legit. But when you're plucked from suburban obscurity and thrust into the public eye in a world of sex, drugs and rock and roll and you're not even legal, Shit goes down. What happened over the next few months shaped the rest of my life in ways that I'm still discovering today. In this series of podcasts, I will be speaking with a different guest each week from the world of reality television. These chats will cover the highs and lows of the reality TV experience, how their lives have changed as a result, and what it's like to come back from reality. My guest today is Mike Goldman. Mike has been the narrator on Big Brother for every season since it began. On top of this, he's also hosted spin-off shows Big Brother Up Late and Friday Night Games. It's important to state at the very top of this episode that Mike is not a representative of Big Brother and does not speak on behalf of the Big Brother franchise. I found listening back to this week's episode quite confronting. The interview got off to a strange start that I wasn't prepared for and at certain points of this interview it becomes very apparent how derailed I was. Towards the end of the interview my guest concedes to not always saying the right thing in this interview and the lack of filter. But there is a filter and that is our editing process. It's a fundamental part of this podcast and very important to me that my guests feel safe in these chats. We're not after a villain edit. So after careful consideration, we made the decision to remove certain parts of the interview that weren't detrimental to the core discussion. However, the residue of these omissions is apparent in how I facilitate the chat and made reference to by my guest. I will often get messages from listeners saying things along the lines of, sounds like you really fell in love with your guest in that hour. And that is so often the case. And this was the first interview where I was very challenged by the ideas being presented because they didn't necessarily align with my own personal values. I'm not a journalist. I'm not even close. So I'm learning where the line is of challenging my guests while also making sure that they feel comfortable in the interview. And in this interview, I don't always get that right. I laugh at things that perhaps I shouldn't have, brushed things off and was quick to move on if my guest showed any irritation with me, all in the name of keeping things comfortable. I'm not actually sure that this interview is comfortable, but it is interesting and I thank my guests deeply for their open conversation. Big Brother since the very beginning. Could you tell us a bit about all of the different hats that you wear in relation to Big Brother?
1: To cut a long story short I auditioned as the voiceover guy and the narrator in 2001. The crowd warm-up guy didn't show up for the live show and I said I can do it and they basically threw me in the deep end and it went so well they ended up putting me on camera to host my own late show which was like live streaming from the house. That went really well, so they gave me a primetime show called Friday Night Live, which was like it's a knockout or anything goes, but with the housemates, and it played a big part in the show, because whoever won the games got to be able to nominate and have certain powers in the house, and then the show, uh, after I think it was 13 years on Channel 10 and Channel 9, uh, it had a few years break, and it's only just come back on uh, another network, Channel 7, and I uh, I was supposed to get married this year. I was I was supposed to be in Greece. I was supposed to be working on the current series of Big Brother. And then all of a sudden, uh, corona hit and I ended up working on the show. And
0: Big Brother is just, it's so successful. Um, and it has this mass kind of following. But when I was interviewing one of the original producers of Big Brother Australia, she said really at the beginning... We had no idea if this was going to work here. We had no idea how it was going to go. I was just wondering, what was it like as part of the production team in those really early days before
1: you knew that you'd struck gold? Well, the promos were massive and everyone was talking about it before the first episode. And I think everyone was expecting it to be a, a crazy success because of the success it had already been in the UK. And and in Holland, I think it was where it, where it originated, and so we we're we we're pumped. And then when the first episode played, I had messages from people going, "What is this shit? What the hell's going on? They're not doing anything." <laughs> and then people, some people didn't get it, and they're like, "Oh, oh, we're actually watching real people and they're having a real conversation." Oh, wait a minute, oh, they're gonna do these challenges, and then I think it clicked that it was something really different that no one had ever done and no one had ever seen before. And that's when I think everyone realized, hang on, this, this is going to be a massive success. And it was, it was the biggest show on Australian television. And it's a testament to it that it's, it's still going 20 years later. And you know, there's 14, 15 year old kids who are watching it that had never heard of it before. And they're like, wow, wow, hey, mum, dad, uh, have you seen this Big Brother thing? And they're like, yep, yep, we've seen that.
0: What do you think it is that that strikes a chord with its audiences so much? What's the success of the show?
1: I think there's a, a lot of factors that make it successful. But one of the things I love about it, because I'm a fan as well, is the fact that you see people from all walks of life. You'll see a 60 year old grandmother with an 18 year old kid straight out of school, and you know a a bogan from the western suburbs of Sydney with uh, a Bondi hipster who thinks that they're the shit and all these people who would never hang out with each other never associate with each other all of a sudden start forming these great relationships and you watch it evolve and Big Brother throws them a, a curly one and they ended up uh, having to, having to do some strange challenge and and end end up having a fight and then they make up and they fall in love and it, it's it's just so nice to see these things happen. I, I think there's bastardised versions of Big Brother like uh, Too Hot to Handle, where they give you a whole stack of prize money and if you have sex, they take the prize money away. And uh, Love Island, which is just a root fest. Uh, but I think people are sick of them. I think think they've um, they realised that that's you know just some some pretty people there to to get it on, and it's it's really got nothing else to it. But there's a, a there's a lot more to our show uh, in terms of real people. I think sure there. I mean, to a certain extent, now they they you know there's a few fame whores that just want to get more Insta followers, and we're probably never going to have anything like the first year of Big Brother where people have had no idea that the viewers were out there. Um, so I think. I think it's it's definitely still got a, a few more years left in it and it's got a whole, whole new market of people that are into it now.
0: What do you think makes a good Big Brother contestant?
1: If you go by the current series, it was Chad who won and he was just a, a down-to-earth Aussie bloke who stuck to his guns and if he said he was going to do something in the house, he did it and almost everyone else in the house... Uh, lied and cheated and played games to to try to win the money in the end, and he even went as far as uh, he had the opportunity to vote out his main competition, who was the funniest alpha male guy in the house. And at the last minute, he goes, "No, you know what? I think you've, you're the funniest guy here, and you know you've gone all the way to the end, and I, and I think you de- you deserve a public vote because Australia voted on the last episode who who would win." Uh, and I think that worked to his advantage, but I think that's definitely a uh, a good housemate, someone that's true to themselves and doesn't try to put on an act. And Australia get to to fall in love with with who they are, they are, that kind of person. I um I think in other countries it might be different though, because I mean in the US it's got a bit of a, more of a survivor vibe going than it does here in Australia. And there's been people be uh, people on the episodes in the US who have done it like three or four times and one because they they play it like this strategic game of chess. I don't think we're quite there yet in Australia. A few people tried that in the first few weeks and they just got booted straight out.
0: Can you pick it? You know, like when with this show, you've got your Sarah Marie's, your Reggie's. When you're watching it, do you go, that one? Australia's going to love them.
1: At the start, yeah. But then again, it was different to previous years where Australia would vote who they wanted want to keep or vote off the people they didn't like. And there was a couple who I really loved at the start and the housemates this year were voting people out until the very end when Australia voted. So there were a few at the start went, oh, I really like that guy. Like there was a a 50-year-old Korean dude who was a, uh, a K-pop producer for about 23 years of his life. And he lives in a combi van and his name was Sobong and he lasted a day. He could do push-ups without using his arms. He was a super fit 50-year-old dude and uh they the guys saw him as a threat and wanted him out of there and i on my show i kept getting him back every week to uh to sing songs and do raps and all sorts of stuff so i kind of still kept him involved but there's always a few that you see straight away to go that person like i remember i think it was 2004 had a um bogan aussie girl called reggie she was someone where we all went no one could beat her she's just got no filter she's a lovable bogan aussie from tasmania She's a bit daft, but it's funny, and I'm still friends with her today. She's a she's a great chick. So yeah, you can definitely see them a mile away. I think when they show up. I mean, there was there was a guy called Kieran on the current series of Big Brother, who was just a funny, geeky guy who just had this confidence about him that you really don't see in that kind of person normally and like he'd go on national talk shows straight out of the big brother house like it was something that he'd been doing his whole life and just so casually chat to the number one breakfast show host or whatever and and in the house he was playing this sort of cheating conniving game and it was just funny and and at the last minute he took 15 grand and left the house and a lot of people said if he had stayed. He might have won the 250 grand.
0: You were saying before, you know, some people do come in, they have this kind of strategy, but then they're kind of booted out. I was chatting to one of the original Big Brother Australia contestants and she said it's about week three that you start to forget the cameras are there. Hmm. People become a bit more real, facades kind of fall away. You watch the footage really closely. Did you see that play out? Did you see that change occur in characters?
1: Yeah, yeah, I reckon it definitely happens after the first three or four weeks. A good example of that is on the eviction nights, uh, Sonia Kruger, the main host, she'd come out and ask all these curly questions to the housemates and she'd go to a dressing room after and what the housemates didn't know when they were sitting in the backyard having a recap about what just happened, they'd all be talking about her and saying, I can't fucking believe that she said this and said that and she's like, I can hear these bastards just here. Do they forget they're on TV? <laughs> it's
0: funny because we're always taught when we grow up not to stare at people. Mm. Your job, it specifically requires that you are staring at people in their most kind of intimate moments. Have you ever felt... Uncomfortable at a point in your big brother journey of going. Oh, I probably shouldn't be watching this.
1: Uh, yeah, I uh, occasionally would take people on a tour of the house just through the camera runs. I mean, you open up the curtain and have a little look. Oh, yeah, there's the housemates. There's the camera. And uh, one time, because it's so pitch black in there, you don't really know where you're at. I opened up the curtains, and I was with my accountant of all people, and I said, just just come really close. You don't make any noise. Just you can look in there. You'll be able to see them. And I didn't realise it opened up the where the shower was. And one of the housemates was lying on her back, stark naked, shaving her legs. And we just like, ah, and went running out. So, yeah, that's probably something we shouldn't have seen.
0: Because, well, that's that's kind of the instance that I was chatting to a guest about. With the female contestants, she was saying, yeah, I, I had to shower in swimwear for like three weeks, you know. Do you think it's necessary to have a camera in the showers when you've got men and women kind of coming and going? What's What's the reason behind that?
1: Um, I think the whole thinking behind that kind of thing is, one, if it's a up, up late show, people might want to see them, how they they act in the showers around other people in the nude and if they say things that might be incriminating when it comes to... Nominations. If if they're trying to keep a secret from the rest of Australia and just say something to a housemate, uh, could be a strategic thing. Um, I think there does need to be cameras everywhere. In the in the dunny, I don't think you need to have them in the dunny. Are they in the dunny? Yeah, there's a camera in the toilet. But what happens is there's a uh a, a woman will will be there. To, to watch the other woman to make sure she doesn't like try and write notes on paper or I don't know what you'd use, but <laughs> <or> whatever, <laughs> do something in there you're not supposed to do. Have
0: you ever picked up on someone's strategy?
1: Um, yeah, I, I think um, a, a lot of these people this year especially had seen the show before and it wasn't really a strategic kind of vibe in the past. And when they realised they had to be strategic when they are voting people out and they had to have alliances with other housemates to be able to survive, I think uh, they all tried to be strategic and it didn't really work for them. Uh, And it worked more so for the ones that just stuck to their guns and were just themselves and didn't try and play a game.
0: What about in the earlier years? You know, like when you don't have to be strategic, did you ever see someone that you thought was presenting one way but was actually quite different? You
1: know, people put on a persona when they first entered the house. Because, you know, they're, they're, it's their public persona and, you know, they're, they're going on TV. It might be something that they've never done before in their entire life. And then, like, after a couple of weeks, the cameras are gone. They forget about them and they, they sort of start being themselves a little bit more. And then they think, oh, they, they might trip up and go, oh, hang on a minute. Um, I need to act this way or this person seems to be quite popular. I need to be better friends with them. Uh, This year we saw a lot of the housemates go into the diary room and talk about their strategy constantly with Big Brother and say what they were going to do rather than just keep it a secret. But in the past, definitely was more so around the Friday night games. And uh, housemates just trying to win that so they had the the extra power rather than just uh, playing a, a sneaky game. Like we had a housemate this year where... He, he went and told a guy called Garth, who calls himself Auntie Garth, said, oh, she just said you're a snake, that girl over there. Don't say anything, though. But she didn't. He just said that because he wanted her to hate, them to hate each other. So he would vote her out. And it worked. She got voted out. And she didn't realize it till after she was gone. And he realized that when he was in there that he was lied to. So it's not fun. it wouldn't be fun to be in those situations. But you, you could just wash your hands of it say, hey, it's a game. That's what happens.
0: And then there's moments where it kind of stops being a game. Like, for instance, we were having a chat to a producer and and she told us about an instance where the team had started to notice that this one contestant was kind of staying up very late at night by themselves and then sleeping throughout most of the day. And that kind of sleeping pattern, symptomatic of someone with depression have you ever noticed any of this warning sign behaviour yourself? I have,
1: I've seen that before and we have wellness officers and shrinks who are there to, to talk to their housemates at the drop of a hat if they, they have uh, any sort of problems they want to talk about. You know, I, I, can, I can tell you what I know and, and how I've seen them do it in the past. I don't know what the protocol is now, but uh, I, I assume it's you know a wellness check every few days. Just with the psychologist, make sure that they're okay. Uh, tick a few boxes and send them back in. If anyone does have a, a problem, the producers would just do a, a wellness check and send a psychologist in to, to have a little chat in the diary room quickly and make sure that everything's a okay.
0: I mean that's a great that's a great process and you know, that needs to be there and it's keeping the contestants safe. And then there are instances where it's a bit more complex and in the Big Brother House, there's been a few of these kind of monumental incidences. The one that kind of really comes to memory is the 2006 uh, turkey slap incident. And just so that everyone gets a bit of context, what happened was a female contestant had a penis put in her face uh, on national television.
1: But she did say, do it to me. She
0: gave consent.
1: Absolutely did. And then later on, uh, you could tell from what I remember, everyone was, seemed to make it more, a big issue because they were all laughing and having fun when it happened. And I, I think if you're talking strategy, I think she used it as a strategy to think, oh, this could win me the money. I'm the victim here. I'm going to play this up. And I think she absolutely played that up.
0: Because she said, you know, even just a couple of years ago in interviews, she was like, yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. You know, I, I, I was kind of fine with her.
1: She didn't but at the time I think she said that first but the producers who were working on the show at the time kept asking and asking and uh, she like oh, okay yeah and and everyone's panicking but she didn't have a problem with it and and it blew up into a massive issue and the prime minister said get that stupid show off the air and uh, people on radio and TV shows were coming out of the woodwork saying that it shouldn't be on on television. But it wasn't on television. It was actually at about four o'clock in the morning when they're all up having a laugh and it accidentally got through on a live stream. Four people saw it and 60 Minutes played it to an audience of 1.4 million people. So who's to blame?
0: Do you think that the right decision was made by removing... The, the two boys who were involved in that?
1: No, I, I don't I think that was the right decision at all. I think they should have stayed. They were all in on it, all three of them, and they are all having fun, and it was full consent. I'm not saying that what they did was a good thing. I don't approve of it. I'd never do it myself. But, uh, you know, when three consenting adults are having a bit of fun and someone says, do it to me, ah, ha, 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 you did it, and you f- she'd forgotten about it by the next day when they were bringing it up in the diary room.
0: Did the show keep in touch at all with the two boys who were kind of booted out?
1: I believe that they sued. And one, from what I heard. I don't know if that's true. You probably have to check that. And rightly so. I I thought that they were hardly done by. Anyway, this is something that's been talked about like so long ago and I'm just really over it and I don't think it's something that needs to be examined like this right now.
0: I think given where the world is at right now, there's kind of a whole new kind of context to it.
1: It was 12 years ago, yeah.
0: I will move on for you. Another interesting kind of incident that happened on the show. It's it's when like the, the outside world kind of comes into the big brother world. And there was that instance where Merlin left on his eviction and he had tape over his mouth saying free ta refugees when something like that happens and the show kind of gets put into this highly politicized arena from the production point of view is that favorable or do you want to kind of steer away from the show becoming so highly politicized
1: I mean that whole thing Merlin was his his dad planting the seed before he went into the house um I was in the car with him after the eviction going to the uh the eviction party that he ended up having and his dad was a hey, good boy you're brilliant well done and you know patting him on the back for his plan and how it all went according to plan and uh you know it was stupid he was sitting there like a Terrorist with tape over his mouth and shaking like he was something wrong with him. I know he was trying to get a point across, but he could have just kept saying it in the diary room during the show. And and at the time, there were no refugees. There were there were none in actual lockdown in Australia at the time. So, <laughs> what, what was he trying to say? We actually got letters from Bronwyn Bishop, who was the uh, I think the uh, immigration minister at the time, said we at this current time we have no refugees in any containment facilities. We do, however, have about 17,000 people who are in the country illegally who are mostly from England. (laughs) So what do you want me to do?
0: You were saying that you were riding in the car after the eviction. Have you ridden with a few contestants at that point?
1: That was just, we'd be out in the car park waiting to get a taxi down to the local hotel where we'd have a few drinks after the show and uh, I'd go, I'll get in this one. And I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have jumped in this car. (laughs)
0: and when you're having you know drinks at the local pub once these people have kind of they're fresh out of the house is there a common trait
1: a common trait is relief part of it is you know you get to see your family and your friends after not seeing them for so long and I guess another trait would be disappointment that they're out of the house and they're not going to win the money anymore or they don't get to be on On the telly a little bit longer if that's what they wanted.
0: Big Brother is known for not being as produced as a lot of the other shows. You know, there's not those kind of highly produced segments. But ex-producers have kind of, you know, come out and said, well, yes, of course there's ways that we can cultivate a certain environment. So there's been techniques such as painting the walls a brighter colour, timing a sugar hit so that the contestants are kind of on this sugar high right before a a nomination process or putting things in the couches to make them a a, a bit less comfortable so that people don't sit down as much. What techniques have you noticed that are used in the Big Brother house over the
1: years? Well, they took the furniture away from them in this series and they freaked out. They're like, where are we supposed to sit? They didn't have a nice comfy cushion because I was sitting on the couch all day. So, well, let's just take the couch away. (laughs) And they had to sit on the floor and it wasn't fun sitting on the floor for too long. So they'd have to walk around and do stuff. Just putting them out of their comfort zone, literally.
0: So that seems like an absolute kind of evolution of techniques to kind of shepherd the contestants. You've been involved in the show since 2001. What are the changes that you've noticed, especially like in production since 2001 to now?
1: Just coming up with new ideas, yeah? coming up with new challenges and tasks. The house really hasn't changed that much over the years. The housemates are, are really what it's all about and their personalities and how they've changed over the years. Uh, I'd like to see you know, some a more diversity in Big Brother over the next year or two. Uh, this year we, we did have a Fijian, we had a uh, couple of uh, Asian people from um, uh, Korea and China. We had a uh, Angela, she was African. But um, the other three got evicted like in the first week, which, which was a shame. Uh, but and you know, the people who didn't watch the show were like, oh, Big Brother's racist, but it's nothing to do with him, it was the housemates and, and they weren't racist, but there was actual, actual reasons for it and it was nothing to do with where they were from. But uh, I I really enjoy it when we see uh, people from different nationalities in there, especially if it's like a Chinese, Australian-born girl with an Aussie accent, you know, or an African girl with an Aussie accent who's grown up in Australia. Because I think that's... That's what we love about Australia, that we do have diversity here and there are people here from all the nations on earth who fall in love with the culture and become part of it. And it's it's so nice to see that on TV.
0: I mean, the contestant themselves has also evolved because, you know, it was kind of a prerequisite in early days, Big Brother, that you don't have anyone with media training on the show. Nowadays, with like social media, it's like, well, everyone's kind of media trained to a certain extent. Have you noticed the smartening up of contestants?
1: Oh yeah man not just the housemates. I mean 14, 15 year old kids now are more brand aware than I've ever been. <laughs> they they know what their brand is, they know what they like they know the clothes they want to wear and you know how they're going to present themselves on their social media page to make themselves look good. Um, and you, you do definitely see that with a, a lot of housemates on the show. I mean there's one guy by the name of Matt who was on the last series and he, he was like, yeah, I'm just this knockabout Aussie bloke from Broken Hill. But you look at his Instagram and it's like, it's all professional and you know, all, all websites there. And he's actually been on TV before that. I guess that slipped through the cracks. So, yeah, I think they are definitely more, more brand aware in this day and age. I mean, when Big Brother started... In 2001 in Australia, they didn't, we didn't have Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of that shit. And that actually, that pisses the publicists off in a big way. They have to control that. They hate that these people come out of a reality TV show and all of a sudden have hundreds of thousands of followers and they can speak to the public at the drop of a hat. And the publicists who used to be able to control all of the the, the media that went out, they can't control the social media I did notice on the last series of Big Brother that all the housemates' Instagram passwords were held by the production company and so they could keep a close eye on what they were saying and what they were doing after they were in the house.
0: Because with Love Island here, you've got people on the outside kind of running the Instagram accounts Of the people, I mean that must be really difficult for a publicist to try to control as well.
1: And especially the old dogs who have been, you know, working at a TV station for the last twenty years, and it's all the relationships that they have with magazine people and newspaper people, and giving them the exclusive. And then all of a sudden, some nineteen-year-old housemate gets out of the house and says, "Yeah, guess what? Uh, I'm getting married," or you know, stuff that was supposed to be exclusive for a magazine and. I think publicists are realising that they're not worth as much money as they used to be in our industry.
0: When I've spoke, because I've spoken to a few people from the Big Brother world, maybe they've just done a great job on me and I'm, I'm totally convinced, but especially the origins of Big Brother, the MO was always to look after the contestants and make sure that they feel safe that is kind of a fundamental ethical concern of Big Brother. Do you think that that's a pretty fair assessment of the ethos of the show?
1: Yeah, 100%. I wouldn't be involved if, it, if that wasn't the way they were. I mean, you'll see producers go, oh, God, I hate that housemate, but they've still got their health and safety first and foremost. But, you know, we put villains in there. We put people who are the nicest people ever. And I remember um, one of the ways they used to cast housemates is they would um, mark them from one to five. Number one, can't stand them. Number five, you love them. Um, Um, They'd never choose a housemate that was all ones or all fives. You'd want half of the votes to be fives and half of them to be ones because that way you would love that housemate and I would hate them, but we would have a conversation about it. But if we both loved them, it'd be boring.
0: We had an instance here with Love Island uh, the season before last where the narrator, Ian Sterling, I mean, he's hilarious. He had kind of developed this recurring joke through the narration of one of the male contestants kind of undermining his sexuality, kind of making fun uh, of the effeminate nature of his profession, which was a ballroom dancer. That then led to further public backlash and trolling because the narrative from the show was it's okay to kind of make jokes about this. Are you very cautious of what you say when you're narrating and portraying someone?
1: Um, if I'm narrating a show, uh, I don't usually write it. But my my uh, big bro show that I host, um, it's comedy. It's a bit of fun. It's a piss take. You know, uh, Matt, the guy I was talking about before uh, from Broken Hill. I mean, we, we called him Matt with one T through the whole series. And we did a fundraiser to change his name by a deed poll to Matt with a double T because he spells it M-A-T like doormat like that's not right um so we're, we're, we have a, a light-hearted fun but i think if you're sort of you know playing up to someone's sexuality or you know attacking them personally you should never punch down and and i i, I did i know the the moment you're talking about and the, and and that show and they do punch down on, on a lot and i i I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a part of that.
0: Do you think, because there are kind of lasting effects from reality television, you know, in that instance, it's someone who then has to deal with this kind of trolling backlash. Do you think that the, uh, the Big Brother aftercare system is up to scratch?
1: I think there's always room for improvement. I would like to see a, uh, a little uh, check-in. You know, see how people are, not just Big Brother, but reality TVs in general, to make it a rule. If you go on a reality TV show, there's a duty of care from the production company. I know it's just a game show, but it's not deal or no deal where you show up to win some cash and go home. Uh, these people are living in a house and they're forming relationships and showing their real lives. And they, if they get trolled and it doesn't stop, then I think uh, production companies should step in and say, you know, we need to make sure that the authorities know what's going on and we need to know, get make sure this person gets help because you know i've been friends with people who have um have ended it all because of that because they couldn't handle the uh the trolling it's really sad and and i definitely think that there there should be some sort of tv rule um, or rule of thumb or just a courtesy to the housemates at least 6 months after to just check in once every week or every month just to say how are you going and everything okay i i don't know what the protocol is for big brother um i didn't work on the production i worked but channel 7 doing a show about Big Brother this this time around. So I uh maybe maybe they did do that. They do that now, I don't know. You're
0: an actor. You've got a background in in acting. Do you still act?
1: Yeah, I uh, actually did an audition today for Oh, I can't say that. I signed an NDA. I
0: would have taken it out.
1: Well, I can tell you what I've done this year. I, I did The Wilds with Rachel Griffiths for Amazon Prime. We shot, shot a little scene in New Zealand. That was cool. I got a role on Clickbait on Netflix. But I haven't shot that yet. I was supposed to shoot it in Melbourne, but, the, uh, but COVID hit. Um, I own a film festival. It's been going for about six years. Shot a movie last year in New York called Monsters of Man, uh, which... Is uh, coming out later this year So yeah A bit, bit of acting But I, I've been acting Since I was a kid I was on Home and Away When I was like 15 But uh, acting's, acting's uh, Something that's Very close to my heart And uh, I'll always Have a crack at that And there's A lot of work Coming to Queensland At the moment Because shooting Stopped in America yeah. And uh, the Australian government have, have got all these deals going at the moment for production companies coming here. So it's uh, it's an exciting time if you can talk with an American accent.
0: Yeah, if you can. Because when I was at drama school, when my teachers had kind of found out that I had a background in reality television, I got judged pretty harshly for that. Uh, lots of teachers would kind of say, you know, how you've been a part of an industry that is crippling the Australian scripted television industry.
1: Oh, yeah. That happened to me in 2001 because I was I was doing a couple of little acting roles before I got Big Brother. There was no hope in hell that I was going to get an acting gig for the first 10 years, 15 years. But I think now people go, oh, well, you know, 20 years ago when he was on it um, and they're, they're more willing to give me a chance now because I've done so many other acting roles. I did have to weasel my way into a couple of auditions over the years I even went to the extent of changing my name and I got a couple of roles as a, as a different person and uh, and I think that that kind of helped me infiltrate the actor scene in uh, in Brisbane and Australia and uh, did a couple of little things in the US as well which was fun but it is uh, very very difficult and, and and I think still to a certain extent the uh, acting world, hate reality TV.
0: I mean, do you think that there's truth in it? Like, how do you reconcile the two? Do you think that your involvement in reality television is taking away from the Australian scripted television industry?
1: Ten years ago, definitely, because to be creating, I think we were 10 hours of television a week where it would normally be a variety show or a game show or a drama scripted drama TV series comedy all of those millions of dollars because i think the first series cost like 8 million and then the series after that was like 13 or 14 million and it just went up after that could it, that money could have been spent on where it would normally be spent on dramas or comedies or dramedies or whatever So there was definitely a disdain for reality TV from uh, big parts of the theatrical industry, but not so much anymore because you've got so many streaming services and there's more productions happening now than in the history of the world.
0: And finally, would you let your loved ones, uh, would you let them do reality television?
1: It depends what the show is. And, you know, I would warn them about the things that could happen after they're on the show. And if they still wanted to do it, then it's on them. You can lead a horse to water, but you know if they want to do it, you, you can't stop them. I, I would warn them. I'd say, listen, just so you know, before you go on, if you say or do anything in the whole time you're on this show, you will be remembered for that one thing for the rest of your life, wherever you go. Are you, are you willing to accept that? <laughs> Even if you had a few drinks and you might accidentally slip a, a racist joke in that your dad told you in 1978 and go, oh, yeah, that's really bad. I should have said that, but just be known for that forever. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing you have to have in your head and turn that filter on. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to have that filter being, even though it hasn't really worked in this interview, I uh, have that filter on being a, a, a TV host and radio host over the years. And, uh, I I've I've got it there when the when the camera's on sometimes, but you know I I mean I've I've said and done a lot of bad things and but it's like water off a duck's back now if you get trolled or or messages so I'm I'm used to it, but uh, you know some people don't handle it so well. They think it's all going to be uh, all, all happy and rosy when they they finish the reality TV show. Like I I definitely know in this current series of Big Brother that uh, a few of the guys that were in there uh, came out of the house thinking that they would be megastars and everyone would love them and then realised, oh shit, I was the villain. How did that happen?
0: And have you yourself been trolled?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's not a, not a normal day unless I get trolled. Actually, you know what? One thing I have noticed this year, there have been so much less trolling than there have been in previous years and not, not just, I'm not just talking about myself, but uh, talking to the housemates and also talking to um, people who run the chat groups and the, the uh, Facebook groups for the show, about seven years ago, they said they'd, they'd probably kick about 50 dickheads off a, a day who were on there slagging off housemates or saying horrible things. But it's like they've still got a, the odd wanker there, but it's, uh, it's not as bad as it used to be. And that tells me that, that people are a little bit le- less likely to uh, slag someone off on social media as they used to which uh, was a surprise.
0: I mean, do you think that instances, you know, especially deaths that we've had in Australia, as a direct result from that, do you think that's that's helped the awareness of trolling?
1: Yeah, yeah, because if you write something, it's there forever. Even if you delete it, it's still in the internet forever. And, you know, you don't know what that person's going through on the other end. I mean, who wrote something to you, if they wrote something horrible, they, you, that person's probably having a, a horrible day, day. And it's, I think, people now see it more as a reflection of that person rather than themselves. And hopefully that's what the uh, psychologists are are telling people if they're, they're reading the troll stuff. And I just tell housemates or anyone I know that works in radio TV, uh, just use the delete button, just, just block them. If someone's a dick, just block them. I mean, I've got hundreds of people I've blocked over the years. I looked at it the other day and I went, Oh yeah, I remember them. Uh, But half the time they're a 12 year old kid. You know, it's not like it's it's like it's someone in your family that knows you really well.
0: Yeah, I was talking to one contestant, a UK lady from the UK Love Island, and she was saying, "You would think that you'd think it's like a twelve-year-old kid with a burn account or something." But she was like, "Actually, a lot of the people I get trolled by are mothers, and that's a lot harder to kind of take."
1: Do you know? You know what I do? Because this year, Channel Seven were putting my show out on uh, the Seven News website as well as 7 News Entertainment and uh, a few other places. And people would write on there when it goes on the news section, oh, this is bullshit. This isn't news. Why am I reading this crap? Who's this dickhead? And I'd get on there and I'd write, oh, hi there. Um, are doing it really tough at the moment in the current situation and I'm on JobKeeper, but Channel 7 have helped me out, thanks. Or I'd go, all right, hey, I love your shirt. <laughs> and I'd, I'd just give them all compliments. So I find... If you've got a troll, just keep writing really, really nice things back to them and then they just realise what an asshole they are. Or
0: it confuses them incredibly like, what? What's happening?
1: Yeah. yeah. Or you click through their photos and, and write about their holiday and, and what a great part of the world it is. And how you used to live a couple of streets from them, or you know a guy that lives next door to them, and I'll pop over and say hi sometime.
0: That's a great kind of technique as well because it's letting them know, hey, I'm a human.
1: Yeah, because that's the thing. There's the disconnect there. People don't think that you're an actual human being when they get on there and go, oh, this is crap. You know, it's some people are just letting out off some steam because they've had a shit day. That's their TV show. That's their reality show. Just they get online and have a whinge,
0: Mike. Thank you very, very much for chatting to us today after you've had this massive kind of day and week with a Big Brother finale. I really, really appreciate it. And that concludes my interview with Mike Goldman. Just to clarify, Mike has asked that we make it clear that bringing a guest into the camera runs was an isolated incident and not a regular occurrence during production. We also have a few fact corrections to make from some points that came up in the interview. We were unable to find any verification online to suggest that either of the men involved in the turkey slap incident had sued Big Brother. Mike's recollection that Camilla consented during the turkey slap incident is actually incorrect. After reviewing the footage, Camilla quite clearly says, You're not going to turkey slap me, are you? I'll hurt you if you do. The statement attributed to Bronwyn Bishop that there were no refugees in detention in June 2004 is perhaps more a technicality of classification than anything else. According to the Australian Parliament's Immigration Detention in Australia report from 2013... Between 2001 and 2008, there were a total of 1,637 asylum seekers detained in offshore processing centres on Nauru and Manus Island. Between 2004 and 2005, there were a further 7,970 men, women and children held in Australian immigration detention facilities. That's all for now. Thank you for bearing with me. I'll see you next week. This podcast was produced by Hugo Chiarella for Unlikely Productions. The dulcet melody that you are listening to right now was crafted by Robert Tripolino. If you reckon this podcast is a bit of all right, please tell your mates, post about the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Come on, get a girl out there. You can also follow me at Gjosca on Instagram. Yeah, I know, that's G-J-O-S-C-A. Not my best, not my worst. You can also follow me at ScorthorneGab on Twitter. It's my name, but backwards. Hey, we should do this again sometime.